The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come to Acts again, and we keep seeing over and over again that you will fulfill your purposes through your Spirit through your people, to make much of your son Jesus. And we want to be that kind of people that love Christ and love for others to love Christ and who trust in the power of your Spirit who is with us as you're promised to never leave us or forsake us. So be with me. Give me clarity. Be with us as we hear your word, Lord. And we would just pray for the miracle of transformation, changed hearts, changed desires, changed priorities, whatever you need to do in this room to comfort and convict, to exhort and encourage, we trust and we believe in the power of your Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do. So come and do it now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do with this text is start by making the case that what we delight in will lead to what we do in life. In other words, our, our delight actually overflows into doing. And it also, our delight, kind of makes us want to invite other people into what we delight in. So I want to give you a couple real-life examples. So maybe if you're a kid here, you have some games you love to play. So it's summertime and kids are gathering at the playgrounds. They're getting busier and busier. And my kids love to play this game at the playground called Sandman. Has anyone else ever heard of Sandman? Some of you have. When I was little, all we knew how to do was tag each other or throw balls at each other. The the rules of Sandman are complex, and sometimes I'm still not sure what I'm doing, but they love to play this game. And you can see my kids, as they get to the playground, their eyes just start going all around the playground. And what are they looking for? anyone, (laughs) anyone that will get on this playground and play Sandman with them. They delight in it, and therefore they want as many people a part of it as possible. Sometimes the playground is swarming and feels dangerous to all the parents watching, but they love it, and they keep inviting more and more people into it. Or I remember as a kid, I thought one of the weirdest things, now if you do this, it's okay. I doubt you still do it. It's kind of old now. But one of the weirdest things to me as a kid was when parents would be talking about their kids to each other and they'd be trying to describe something and all of a sudden they'd just give up and they'd pull out that long plastic thing, right? Do you remember it? And all of a sudden 700 pictures of their kids would fall out, right? You just have to see all of them. And they'd walk through every single one and what had happened. We still do that, right, with our smartphones and our social media pages. But what made parents back in the day stuff 700 pictures of their kids into plastic sleeves, just ready to be talked about on command. What made them do that? They delight in their kids. They want to celebrate their kids. They want to invite other people into the joy that they take in their kids. I make this point because this is what all humans are doing all the time. This is what we're actually made to do, to delight and to share that delight with others. We are worshipers every moment of our lives. In fact, this is what God is like, and we're made in His image. 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have delighted in each other from eternity past, and that caused our triune God to overflow to create a world where others could what? Share in that delight. That's what all this is about. It's what the sky's about, the, the stars are about, those camping trips and the beauty you see on those this summer. That's what it's all about. Our God delighting Father, Son, Spirit from eternity past and inviting us into that delight. And as we read through Acts and see God's people speaking of Jesus, praying to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, I don't know about you, but I don't get the idea that they're just kind of checking a box. There's kind of perfunctory, like, oh, yep, better get to that prayer meeting, right? Better get to that worship service. People are going to notice if I'm not there. Instead, as I've walked through this book, our hearts start to realize that their hearts were radically oriented around and committed to delight in who Jesus is and what he did, and they just always wanted more. They just couldn't get enough of Jesus, and therefore they couldn't get enough of God's people and worshiping with him. And as I've read this book, my heart goes, I want that. I want more of that for me, for us. Their delight in Jesus is what caused them to pray and worship and speak his name and sustain them as they endured suffering and united them despite their differences. And so my prayer this week as I've been looking at Acts 13 and as we see Acts continue to unfold is that it would stir up in us first and foremost delight in Jesus. Like my prayer has been that you leave this morning going, I love Jesus more. I want him more. I want to delight in him more this summer. I'm praying that we would see the heartbeat of a healthy, unified, spreading church, not mainly as one that has an awesome mission statement or plans really cool events, though those things are great, but a heartbeat of delight in Jesus that spills over into every area of life. With that in mind, let's dive in here to this story. Point number one, just want to point out this strange family that's being developed in Antioch. We've seen the church move out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now here they are in Antioch, this diverse hub. Here's what verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, in this passage, most scholars think it's likely that the whole church is gathered in some way to fast and pray, but here we have some of the leaders of this church recognized, some of the prophets and the teachers, some of the leaders, and it's quite a diverse and amazing list. Barnabas was a Jew from the Jerusalem church who was from Cyprus originally. Simeon is called by name that means black and is probably from North Africa. Lucius is definitely from North Africa. Menaean is a Jewish name, but he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. And if you're wondering who that is, that's the guy that beheaded John the Baptist and took part in the trial of Jesus. And then there's Saul, who's the lead persecutor of the church and has now turned into the main preacher and church planter. This is a group of people with very different ethnicities, some very strange background, 
And you have people from far away and from nearby. You have someone that used to persecute the church. You have someone that was good friends, grew up with a political ruler who beheaded John the Baptist, took part in the trial of Jesus. This is a very strange group of people. Have you ever found yourself at a table at an event and you're looking around the table and you just think, how did all of us get here? Right? And you feel a little nervous about, like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> what are we going to do? And so what do you end up talking about? You end up talking about the reason you're there. Like, if it's a wedding, you end up talking about the, the bride and the groom and your experiences with them. If it's a sporting event, you get out your thing with your kids again, right? Um, you, that's what you do. You start talking about what's uniting you, what got you there. And each one of these guys could have had that thought. And how in the world am I here with this group of people? And the answer is delight in Jesus. That's the only reasonable answer. What they had in common was hearts that beat with love for and the glory of Jesus who had saved them, and he knit their hearts together despite significant differences in lots of other ways. So when my kids play Sandman at the park, they're playing with kids from all sorts of ethnicities, backgrounds, life situations, interests, but in that moment, they're united around the joy of the game they're playing. And I just want to make the case that this is the church. (laughs) This is us. I've spoken to enough of you to know that we have people with lots of differences in their backgrounds, lots of differences in their interests. Y'all have lots of differences about all the various issues going on in our world. But what will unite us is hearts that beat with delight for Jesus. Hearts that beat with a love for Jesus. Hearts that say, Jesus is the thing that makes me go. He's the thing that makes me tick. He's my all-encompassing fuel and goal. This is what creates unity. Delight in Jesus. This will be perfectly fulfilled on the day when we're gathered around the throne to worship the Lamb that was slain with people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So if you're going, Dave, I don't know if it's really delight in Jesus that brings unity. I just want to say that's what it's going to be like at the end. A people gathered, delighting in Jesus that are very, very different. In fact, the church is a very strange family. Like if you look around and you go, man, if we didn't all love Jesus, I don't think I'd hang out with them. That's the church. The church is this strange family. A family that makes no sense except that Jesus has saved us and adopted us and made us children of God and therefore brothers and sisters in the family of God that are united in our delight of our King. This is not just an affinity group except for affinity for Jesus Christ. Christ, his salvation, his purposes, his plans, the sending of his spirit, his mission and eternity with him forever. That's what we're about. That's what makes us this strange family. Point number two, a sold out family. Look at verse two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Like I said in the introduction, the main takeaway for us from this passage is not mainly a duty-driven, guilt-driven need to pray more. That does nobody any good. 
Yes, we need to pray more, right? Caleb said that last week. It's a good application all the time. We need to pray more, right? In a world filled with devouring dragons and sneaky serpents, like Caleb pointed out to us, God's people need to pray. We need to pray. But what I want you to see in this passage is that God often leads and sends his people and leads them to prayer and leads them to mission and leads them to plant churches. All of that comes out of the context of worship. We see God's people gathered here in worship. And then we see this idea of fasting introduced really for the first time in the book of Acts. So kids, you might be wondering, what is, what is fasting? So I'll try to help you understand it. Maybe you've been at the park playing Sandman or something else, and all of a sudden, you know, your parents have decided, it's a good idea, we're going to let them stay longer. It's summer, we're going to let them stay longer, it's going well, and then it changes, right? And you get hungry, and you say, I need to eat, right? Well, sometimes people feel hungry on purpose. That's what fasting is. Fasting is when we give something up, normally food, but it could be any number of things, to remind ourselves that we need and want God more than anything else. You remember the Lent guide that we put out leading up to Easter. That was the goal, that just to remind us that what we need more than anything else is God. So if we give up food and our stomachs rumble, instead of going to eat something right away, we let that feeling remind us that we need God more than anything else, and we stop and remember Him, worship Him, pray to Him. And when we see corporate fasting in the Bible, that is the church coming together to fast, it's usually a planned, purposeful thing that is happening in order to ask God for His help, His leading, and direction. So what we have here in verse 2 is this strange family that's been saved, right? They've formed a church, and they're now sold out to the purposes of God, and what they're doing is they're gathering to worship and to ask God for direction. In other words, what's going on here is they're saying, God, what we want most is you. What we need most is you. What we love most is you. We want to have more of you. We want others to know you more. We want to see your glory spread. We want the world to see that you're the only thing that satisfies, the one that gives rest for our souls, the only one who never lets us down, the only one worthy of praise. Lord, what we want is to know you, to make you known even in the midst of pain and persecution. Show us your glory. Show us more of you. Give us more and send us out to make it known. What do you want us to do? So what's going on here with this strange family Point number three, we see that God's answer is to make them ascending family. So God's people are delighting in Him, worshiping, fasting, and God answers them. The Holy Spirit calls them to send out Barnabas and Paul for mission. And no, we have no idea what that looked like. <laughs> Did He say it audibly? Did He give a collective sense this is what is true and right? We don't know, but the Holy Spirit breaks into their worship and their prayer, and their fasting, and he says, set these two apart. Look at verses 3 to 4. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So this is the beginning of the first missionary journey of three of them that we see in the book of Acts. And it flows out of worship. 
So if you think, like there's always this classic debate, right? Are we going to be a people that gathers and prays and worships and cares for each other? Are we going to be a people that's like really on mission? I just want to say the, the Bible never does that. <laughs> that's an American strategic question, but the Bible never does that. It says, man, you get together and you pray and you worship and you care and you fast. You get on your knees. You have to see his glory. and He's just going to do what he wants to do with his people and send them where he wants to send them. People that delight in Jesus are sent out to make much of Jesus. That's what happens. If you don't delight in Jesus, there's not going to be much desire to go out for the sake of Jesus. But for a people that delight in him, who are made in the image of their God, who eternally delighted, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created all this, that we'd share in that delight, redeemed us, so we could see that that's what it's all about. A people that worships like that and goes after God like that, they just get a missionary impulse. It might be in their neighborhoods, it might be for the nations, but man, when they see him, how can that say things about him? That's what happens. There's a missionary impulse to go and to send because we have tasted life. We want other people to join us in that life. This is the first place we see Saul referred to as Paul. He's likely taking on his Roman name more prominently now as his mission's going to increasingly go to the Gentiles. We see he's on this missionary journey with Barnabas and John, who we find out Colossians 4.10, is likely the cousin of Barnabas. And we see them sent out. They sail to Cyprus. They minister in several cities. They preach the word. And then in this episode, they're going to encounter opposition from a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So in this story, the true Jesus will go up against this false Jesus. And this Bar-Jesus guy this magician, this false prophet, this false teacher is in the entourage of a Roman ruler. The Roman rulers believed in a variety of gods, and so this guy who is here trying to kind of control the city likely had various religious people in his entourage to kind of curry the favor of the various gods. And as the church worship and the Lord meets them, and they're no longer content to be a holy huddle, but they spread what this story does is, is just show us some realities we should expect when we begin to go out. When we begin to be content now, it's just being a holy huddle, but go out to our neighborhood, send out to the nations. I just want to point out five things, five realities that we should expect and live for if we're going to be a church like this. All these are right in verses uh, 4 to 12. So look at point number one. This is, I just want to point this out. It's in verse 4. They send their best people. Right? This isn't, this isn't the kind of missionary thing where it's like, yeah, you, you, can, you can take them. They're, that's fine. They send their, their, their best. Send their leaders. They send key leaders of this church in Antioch. For the glory of Christ, the church releases them to go. Right? Gospel goodbyes are hard. We did one a few years ago with the, the Sutphin family. Right, we're going to do one here pretty soon with the Bruno family. We're going to do one at the end of this service for Stetson, who's been among us. Gospel goodbyes are hard. Stetson didn't know that. Now he does. <laughs> but a church that delights in Jesus 
wants to see that delight spread, and so they're willing to do gospel goodbyes for the sake of the name. Point number two. So send their best. Point number two, sending will result in opposition. Just will. Satan hates to see the gospel spread. And he will bring opposition early and often. I was talking to someone recently who was talking about the, the challenge on the mission field and all these challenges that were being faced. And I was thinking, oh, this is so hard. And his words to me were, it's actually convincing me that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Satan will bring opposition early and often. In this story, it's a Jewish false prophet, magician, that's trying to keep a Roman ruler from hearing the gospel. This reminds us of Simon the magician earlier in Acts. So sometimes the opposition comes from false teaching, right? Sneaky serpents. And sometimes it comes from persecution, devouring dragons, like Caleb said last week. But it comes. And this is why we need to keep getting to know, like we're doing, praying for, and supporting those we send that we send on the mission field. And this is why we need to be supporting each other and loving each other as we go into our neighborhoods because opposition will come. Point number three, the Word of God does the work of God. This has to be primary in all of our speaking in our neighborhoods and all of our going to the nations. The Word of God does the work of God. As Paul and Barnabas set out on their journey and go from city to city, their first and primary work is to preach the gospel. We see that. They teach the Word of God, verse 5, in every synagogue they go to. And when Sergius Paulus, the Roman ruler, believes, it says he was amazed by the teaching of the Lord. That's why we're so committed to the Word of God at Bethlehem. Right? Every, every once in a while you hear, well, well, Bethlehem just wants theological precision for the sake of high-minded knowledge. That's all they care about. And I would just say, that's, that's not why we're so committed to the Word of God at Bethlehem. The reason we're committed to the Word of God and a deep knowledge of the Word of God is that we want the power of God. We want the truth of God to cut through and shine into the darkness. It's not so we can just be perfect in all of our categories. So we want the power of God. We want to know God. So the Word of God does the work of God. Number four, we must be willing to speak the truth which is both the salvation and the judgment of the Lord. This is really not popular in the day and age we live in. I just want you to hear what Paul says to this guy and think, man, how would that land on my Facebook page today? He says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of of the Lord. I'm not suggesting you lead with this to your neighbors. But there will be times when out of love for others and even love for those who are opposing Jesus, we must be willing to speak the sweetness of salvation and the seriousness of sin in God's coming judgment. There's no good news without bad news. The gospel is good news because there really is eternal condemnation coming for those who don't turn, for those who oppose Jesus. Number five, last thing to see here, the power of Jesus is unrivaled for the mission of Jesus. There is no opposition that can stop the gospel. This is the main storyline of the book of Acts. 
Jesus will build his church. Jesus will defeat every sneaky serpent and every devouring dragon. Opposition is sure, but so is ultimate victory. Right? I love to win. <laughs> In some ways it's a character flaw, but I love to win, and so I love being on Team Jesus. Because I know my victory is sure. I know our victory is sure. As bleak as it looks sometimes, it's not up for grabs. Don't have to be nervous like, oh, this is going on, what's going to happen? This is going on, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to win. <laughs> He's going to send the gospel forward. We have seen throughout the book of Acts, and if you go back and study just a little bit of church history, that over and over again, people try to snuff out Christianity, try to, try to devour and try to fool and try to trick and try to get rid of it. And over and over again, they pass away and the church remains. Not because the church is awesome or super strategic or, or anything like that, because Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus reigns. So we can be confident that he'll continue to do it. This bar Jesus is called a false prophet and magician because he likely had real power. People saw him do amazing things, like they do with Simon. That's why he's in this Roman leader's entourage. He seems powerful. But as he tries to blind the Roman ruler from seeing the truth and keeping him from the way of Jesus, Jesus, the true Jesus, intervenes and instead blinds him and makes it so that he cannot find the way himself. The irony is meant to be seen and to be just a show of the power of Christ. He wins. He keeps his mission moving forward. We don't always see miracles like this, but Jesus will accomplish his mission for global glory in our neighborhoods and to the nations, and nothing will stand in his way because he loves his people and he loves his glory. So as we gather to pray and fast and worship and delight and send out and see these global partner videos and all that we're doing, we do so with sober-mindedness. Right? We know we have an enemy who hates the gospel, who hates Jesus, and hates you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy this place. But even in our sober-mindedness, we know Jesus is worth it and the victory is sure. So we go forth with boldness and seriousness. And it will lead to opposition. It will lead to gospel goodbyes. But we go to our neighborhoods and the nations with our ultimate delight in Jesus, knowing that He is worthy of worship in these south neighborhoods and all the way to the ends of the earth. Last point, just want to quickly show you the sovereign spirit. If you are wondering who is the main actor in this story, the answer is the Holy Spirit is the main actor in the story. And Luke goes out of his way to show us that. So I'll just point it out to you here in three different places. If you look at verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Or verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Or verses 9 to 10, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, So what we're meant to see is that we are totally dependent, totally dependent totally dependent on the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit to send, to speak, 
to worship, to move in power, to make much of Jesus. Remember Acts 1.1. It's the theme of the whole book. King Jesus is working and teaching in his people for the spread of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the point of the whole book. King Jesus is still here. He's still teaching. He's still working. That's what all of Acts is about. King Jesus bringing his kingdom to bear shining light into darkness, making enemies into sons and daughters by the power of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit works to display His power in word and deed. We can't make the Holy Spirit do anything. He blows where He wishes. He's a person. He's not, the, he's not a feeling. He's a person. We cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. We cannot make Him do anything. He's sovereign. But what we can do is we can ask. We can plead. <laughs> Say, plead for the Spirit to make us delight in Jesus more than in anything. Say, Spirit, help me. I feel my love growing cold. I want to delight in Jesus more. We can ask Him to make us delight in Jesus so much that we want to share Him with other people. Right? How many times do you feel like, I should say it, and you just, uh. Say, Holy Spirit, help me say it. <laughs> help me speak it. Help me love Jesus around other people as much as I do in the morning with my coffee and my Bible open. We can ask Him to stir us up to prayer and fasting and worship. I want to pray more. I want to worship more. Help me. We can ask Him to help us have hearts that love the lost and will speak the seriousness of sin and the goodness of salvation. We can ask Him to help us trust in His power in promises. We can ask Him to make us together a place that delights in Jesus so much that we end up sending people other places to help other people delight in Jesus. We can ask Him to help us kill our sin by growing our love for Jesus. And we can ask Him with great confidence because of the cross of Christ. We are forgiven. There's no condemnation God delights to hear our prayers. They go up before Him as a sweet aroma before His throne. God works for those who wait for Him. God works for the good of His people and the glory of His name. And when we don't know what to pray, He prays on our behalf. Jesus now is interceding in our behalf. Why wouldn't we pray? Oh, that the Lord would entice us to pray that the Spirit would work to make us pray. Which leads to this application, delighting that leads to doing for the name of Christ. So if you haven't noticed, this last year has been a bit of a mess in the world. It might be an understatement. There was a, a recent event we were at um, where one person got up and gave this really awesome, elaborate toast. And it was going to be really hard to follow up. And then the other person got up and said, hey, it's 2021, and got massive rounds of applause. <laughs> <laughs> won the day, right? Because it was a rough year. It was a mess. It even has gotten messy in some ways in our, our church, in our relationships, and all these dynamics. There's a lot of amazing things God's doing, but there's also lots of complex and difficult things that we need help in. And so, if we're going to ask the author of Acts, Luke, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, so how do we move forward? Like, what do we do? What does God have for us at the South Campus? My prayer is that we wouldn't think we'll solve these things or give our answers, but mainly by our strategy or our planning. 
If we think we're going to do that, then we're just being foolish. Like if the last year has taught us anything, is that we don't really know what we're doing. If we think we'll see people come to Jesus in our neighborhoods and in the nations, that people are going to be raised up to be sent out and the gospel is going to be made known because we have really perfect programs and strategies, that'd be foolish. So how will we see these problems work through? How will the gospel go forward? How do we heal after a long year? Well, I hope that as you read the book of Acts, you're reading and you're seeing and you're hearing the stories and you're seeing all that's going on and you're going, I want some of that. I want to see the gospel move like that. I want to see the gospel go forth in the midst of pain and persecution like that. And I would just say, I think it's available to us. I don't want you to mainly read Acts as like a second or third hand or like backing away from it like, well, that was, that was really cool. I want you to, to lean into it. <laughs> Go, that's us! Yes. We're the church. Same gospel. Same Holy Spirit. God is sovereign over how He's going to do it. If we're going to be saying words and people are going to be blinded, He's sovereign over all those things. We have the same gospel, the same Holy Spirit. So how do we move forward? We remind ourselves that we are a people defined by delighting in King Jesus. It's the main thing we do. But what if summer of 2021 was for us to individually and collectively covenant together to say we will remember the beauty of Jesus together as our Savior, our Lord, our leader, and our friend? Like, will you be all in on that with me? Like, summer 2021, we're going after Jesus. We're going to see more of the beauty of Jesus. We're going to see more of the glory of Jesus. We're going to remember who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. We're going to say, I want more of Jesus. I just want to see him and love him. I want my heart to do what my heart should do when someone sent someone to come and save me from my sins and bring me to eternal life out of eternal condemnation. I want my heart to do that. Don't you want your heart to do that? Just to be in step in line with what is actually real. Not distracted and everything's fuzzy because you're not seeing what's most beautiful and good. What if summer of 2021 was a summer to fast and pray, not out of legalistic duty, but out of hopeful delight? And just simple prayers. It doesn't have to be complex. Right? Just, Jesus, we need you. We love you. We're not sure what you want. We're not even sure what you're teaching us. Would you lead us for the glory of your name? Would you heal us for the glory of your name? Would you do miracles of salvation for the glory of your name? You're worthy. We want to follow. We're confused. We're unsure. But we lay our lives and our church before you. Lead us. Help us. We want to follow. Just prayers like that. Just pray what you got. Pray what's in here that just needs to go up there. Pour out your heart before him. As I've been studying this text for this week, I've had a new burden for myself, for my family, for our church to again remember our first love of Jesus and delight ourselves again in worship. God, I was just so looking forward to worshiping with you this morning after reading Acts 13. I am happy you could sing without your masks on. It was louder. I liked it more. And I've had a new burden to pray and fast flowing out of that delight. I just want more of him. I just want more of Jesus. 
I've asked the elders here at the South Campus to just gather once per week for an extended time of prayer throughout the summer to pray for our church, to pray for you, to pray for the gospel to go forward, to pray for leading and help and direction. I just want to invite you this summer to join us. Just get in on it with us. How can you join? Well, first and foremost, delight yourself in Jesus. Make it your first priority every day to be happy in Jesus. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life abundantly, and he didn't add the conditions on that. Like, as long as it's going well, as long as there's nothing hard, as long as there's nothing confusing, as long as there's nothing heartbreaking, like, I'm not saying any of this to, to try to make us feel happy in the midst of heartbreak. What I'm saying is there is life abundant in Jesus in the midst of every circumstance because the life is Jesus. It's Him. <laughs> we get Him And there is abundant life in Him available all the time for those in Christ. So delight yourself in Jesus. Go to Him in the Word. Pray fast. Ask Him to meet us. We're going to have a regular prayer time on Wednesday mornings from 7.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. We're backing it up a little in the summer for those of you who want a little bit more sleep. So 7.30 to 8, come and join us. Maybe you can't make it. Maybe that's your drive to work. Pray on your way to work. Maybe you're working at home. Pray from your, in your pajama pants <laughs> in your back office that you've set up. It's 7.30 to 8, starting June 16th. Let's pray together. You can join us in doing this and rebuilding fellowship by coming on Wednesday nights. Like this summer, what we're going to do is fellowship. We're just going to spend time together. That's all because we need to do it. <laughs> we're, we, we're behind on it. We need to do. We need to enjoy each other as God's people. We are a strange family and some of that strangest that's not so good came out in the last year and we need to remember that the strangest is good. <laughs> that we're diverse people who delight in Jesus together. You can come on Sundays. You can gather your small groups, your friends, your Bible studies, whatever else to fast and pray with us. I don't know what God wants to do but I do know that our delight in Jesus and going to Him in prayer and fasting this summer is His means to launch us forward. And it's time-tested. <laughs> it's what's been working and what He's been doing for quite a long time now. Go back a long ways and you can read God's people come together and they say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. And He meets and He works. There will continue to be opposition and hardship. There will continue to be confusion But what I'm praying for more of is that in spite of that, that we'd be like the parents with our plastic picture things. With Jesus in the pictures. The analogy breaks down somewhere, but you know what I'm saying. We'd be like kids on the playground, spurred on to see more and invite others into what we love. That our delight in Jesus would lead to more prayer, more fasting, more healing in our midst, and more spreading and sharing of the gospel in our neighborhoods and to the nations from our strange little family here at the South Campus. So here's what I want to do right now. Just take a couple minutes. We're going to take the Lord's table together in a couple minutes, but let's go to Him now in prayer. I don't know what the, the pressing issues, the pressing burdens, the hidden sins, the relational breaks, all the stresses are. I don't know what the most pressing thing is for everyone in this room, But I know that our God wants to hear from you right now. He wants you to bring it before His throne. So would you now bring your 
your biggest, scariest stuff to Him? Would you bring now uh, your sins and your sorrows to Him? And would you ask Him to show you more of yourself? And maybe you're here and you've, you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm praying that right now you would pray to Him and you'd ask Him to save you and to give you more of Him for the rest of your life and all of eternity. So let's take a couple minutes and then I'll come back up. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.